this is Terry Beatley, your host of What If We've Been Wrong? I'm shining light into some dark places so that beauty, goodness, and truth defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's true, people are perishing for lack of knowledge, and we're instructed to have nothing to do with the evil deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what I do on What If We've Been Wrong? Rethink, explore, and uncover some hidden truths so that more people can experience an abundant life and the joy of being set free from the shackles that hold us in prison. Welcome to What If We've Been Wrong? All right, thanks for joining me today on What If We've Been Wrong? And today we are shining light in dark places. My guest today is John Henry Weston. He's the father of not one, not two, not six, but eight beautiful children. He is the co-founder and the editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. And uh, you talk about shining light in dark places. Well, that's exactly what LifeSite News is doing. And I thought it would be fantastic to interview John Henry Weston uh, because they're helping they're helping to expose and they're helping helping the laity understand the attack that the Catholic Church is under. Uh, so John Henry, welcome to What If We've Been Wrong? Thank you, Terry. Good to be with you. Well, I'm so glad you're here. So we now have Pope Francis, and I think this is interesting for everybody listening to the show, not just Catholics. Uh, the impact that Pope Francis has already had in the relatively short period of time he's been Pope, and the, as far as I'm concerned, this intentional misinformation that he's um, that that he's giving to to the laity, but then also the people he has intentionally surrounded himself with. So what I say is a lot of the the good holy. Bishops have been ostracized, and uh, but but instead of me just saying this, how about you back it back or what's your take on this, uh, John Henry, with what Pope Francis has been doing from the very beginning of the papacy? Yes, yes, that it's an unbelievable story that is so difficult to imagine. Uh, you, and and that's why I encourage people. Yeah, listen to what we're saying, but please go and look it up because right. these things are facts. You can go check them out. There's no there's no want or desire to play this up or to there's no need to exaggerate. It's all out there for everyone to see. The very first thing that should have been noticed, and I must admit, on, on day one of the papacy, I missed it. Mm-hmm. Um, because out on the balcony with Pope Francis came Cardinal Godfrey Daniels. And that was a shock because what happens is when a pope is elected, out come the cardinals whom he most is uh, uh, sort of his friends and and supporters and whatnot in the conclave, those who elected him and and sort of voiced for him. And so out onto the balcony, Pope Francis came with Cardinal Godfrey Daniels uh, and, and numerous other cardinals, in fact. But Godfrey Daniels is a grave scandal. Because Godfrey Daniels was unfaithful on the issues of life and of family. There's lots of photos around you can see with him wearing a rainbow stall in support of homosexuality. He was supportive of homosexual marriage laws even. Also told the king of uh, Belgium it was okay for the legalization of abortion. But those are the moral things, which are the gravest. But even in terms of the world, Godfrey Daniels, Cardinal Godfrey Daniels, was 
very notorious. Why? Because we're now in the midst of, or, or you know, coming out of perhaps a sexual abuse scandal that just rocked the world. It had rocked the world before as well. But Godfrey Daniels was right in the middle of that, and no one seems to have made a big deal of it because he's on the left. Mm. So it seems many prelates on the left get a pass from the mainstream media, but this time he got a pass from the Pope. He was taped in um, a, a meeting between him and a sexual abuse victim. The sexual abuse victim was sexually abused by a bishop friend of Cardinal Daniels, who had who had abused this young man, who was, by the way, the man's uncle. So it was incestuous mm. sexual abuse, and it happened when the, the fellow was young. So it was, you know, a pedophilic sexual abuse. And yet, the same man, God, Godfrey Daniels, who told this young man not to go public with the truth of what happened to him, but to protect the bishop and, and not be quiet about it. In fact, he said, look to your own sins. Oh, was my gosh. Was allowed not only, yeah, was allowed not only to, to, to stay in the church and not, you know, when this happens, I understand that sometimes evil things happen by priests and, and clergy and even bishops and so on. But when that happens, and especially when it's public and it's gravely evil and immoral, it used to be in the olden days, they would send the bishop, priest or deacon or whomever, to a monastery to pray in reparation for the rest of their lives, or else they would excommunicate them and throw them out of the church. Mm -hmm. But not only does this you know, not happen on the cases of being against the church's teaching, against John Paul's teaching, Pope St. John Paul's teaching on life and on family, but also in this most public uh, 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 even still a public sin of not only excusing sexual abuse, but trying to hide it under the carpet and, in fact, inflicting more pain on the victim of sexual abuse, even that goes uh, is allowed, and there is Cardinal Daniels allowed to come onto the balcony with Pope Francis. Just an utter shame. So it should have been recognized right off the bat. Um, it, it's and like you said, it's almost it's unbelievable, so but it's all out there. If people will just take the time and go research what you just said, it's all there. Uh, and I encourage Absolutely. people to go research it if, if, if you're even remotely doubting what John Henry just said. Okay, it, this, the confusion from Pope Francis um, with a lot of the things he says, sometimes it seems like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Is this intentional? To confuse, pe to confuse Catholics? Now, that's a, a very interesting question because you've recognized something that most people don't. So Pope Francis often says the opposite things. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most perfect examples is this. I know at least six occasions in which the Pope has said that the gender ideology is evil. And really, he uses strong, strong language. And so, you know, people might think, wow, that's, that's really incredible. He's right with the church on this very, very hard teaching. Well, except for this. So in 2015, he had a, a meeting with a transgender couple. It's two women, one of whom has gone through an operation and, you know, unfortunately removed her breasts and given herself hormones to make her look like a man. So she has grown facial hair uh, with the use of these hormones. She has mutilated her body so that she looks more like a man. And she so got, got quote-unquote married to another woman. And 
he actually, the Pope actually invited them to the Vatican and had a photo taken of them together in the Vatican. And, you know, when we first reported this in 2015, people just didn't believe us. Except in 2016, the Pope was asked on the plane about how he gives pastoral care to transgender persons. And he talked about this very incident. He talked about how he invited them to the Vatican. And in fact, he says in that plane interview, which is on LifeSite News, and we have the actual video of it so people can watch it. If you don't know Italian, you can look at it. We put the the uh, subtext under it in English so you can read it if you don't understand Italian. But he says that not only did he invite them to the Vatican, but that they were married and happy. In fact, he ends the pronoun wars. You know, in America, we have this pronoun war of you're kind of forced to say something that's not true. This man who presents himself as a woman, let's say, um, insists on being called a woman. And it, of course, it's nonsense. We've seen so much of that in video, which is actually hilarious. Ben Shapiro getting shaken around by this big, big, huge guy who's dressed as a woman. And the the, the guy says... You better call me a she or some ridiculous things like that. <laughs> so this is what we see. And yet the Pope himself sides on the pronoun war with all of the radicals by saying what he says in that interview on the plane. He says he who was she, but is he. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's unbelievable. So he's, so, he, so he's falling. Well, he's clearly using the power of linguistics to advance um, this kind of a worldview, which is in direct conflict, you know, with a biblical Christian Catholic worldview, uh, contrast that to what, and, and also the power of, you know, the picture, the picture with the Pope and the, and this transgender, you know, couple, um, the power of the picture, contrast that with what happened with the Kentucky clerk that magist, uh, the magistrate Kim Davis, and and which yes. I thought was quite interesting. I remember when this hit the news, I couldn't stay up with it until I just recently watched your your video and where you explained it. I think this is worthwhile everybody knowing. And then what and the whole thing about the lack of a picture to be used. Absolutely. So yeah, walk walk Absolutely. our our guests through this one. Who who was Kim yes, Davis? And, and I, mm-hmm. Yes. First of all, Kim Davis is a Kentucky clerk. Kim Davis was a woman who lived, you know, the way of the world. She was married a bunch of times and so on and so forth. She had a radical conversion to Christ. She's a Christian, a non-Catholic Christian, but she had a radical conversion to Christ and was a faithful Christian. And when they went pro-same-sex marriage, she was a registrar, an elected official who had to sign her name on marriage certificates in the state. And she refused. She refused out of her Christian principles, her allegiance to Christ, her allegiance to the scriptural teaching that marriage is between one man and one woman, Christ's own teaching. And for this, she was threatened and then even jailed. She's got three young children at home. She kept refusing to sign her name on marriage certificates for homosexual couples. She was jailed for it. She willingly, gladly suffered that jailing for the sake of Christ. Mm-hmm. Now come the Pope. So in 2015, when all this is happening, the Pope comes to visit America. And the nuncio, who at the time was one very well-known now, (laughs) nuncios, whose name is Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, 
he decided, because he was a very good and holy man, and saw this holy, non-Catholic, but Christian woman who had heroically suffered for the sake of Christ, he decided, why don't we encourage her and invite her to come and meet the Pope? So he did. And, you know, they came in. And when she went to meet the Pope, some very interesting things happened. For one, uh, she wasn't allowed to take any photos at all, which is kind of odd because when you're meeting the Pope, obviously you want to take photos. But you don't really, really have to normally because whenever you meet with the Pope, the papal photographers are there and they take tons of photos. And in fact, they sell them to you thereafter, which is great business probably for the Vatican. But it's also great for the person because they're able to go and purchase professional photos of your encounter with the Holy Father. It's been a wonderful tradition that's gone on for as long as photography has uh, in the church, and it's been just great. Now, with this, though, she was forbidden to take any photos and also told not to tell anybody about the meeting until after the Pope left. So she, being a good and holy person, just abided by that. (laughs) And after the Pope left, she mentioned to the media that she had met with the Pope. And, of course, the media flipped out. She had just been in jail. She's regarded as a hater and a bigot in a lot of the mainstream leftist media. And, therefore, they, you know, they called up to the Vatican and said, hey, did you meet with did the Pope, meet with this bigot, you know, whatever, uh, whatever language they use? And, actually, unbelievably, the Vatican said, we can't confirm or deny that. There's no comment. So the media started calling her a liar. And it was only after her lawyer started speaking up that the Vatican did admit that they, in fact, had a meeting, except they did it in this way. They said, yes, the meeting was there at the nunciature arranged by the nuncio, uh, you know, basically saying the Pope had nothing to do with it, but also said it wasn't an official meeting. The only, and I'll quote it for you, the only real, go, please go look up the press release from the Vatican, the only real uh, meeting or, or audience the Pope gave when he was there was with his former student and his family. Who was his former student? His former student was a man named Yayo Grassi. And yes, Yayo Grassi came with his mother and his sister, but he also came with his homosexual partner. And not only is this video, uh, this, this photographed meeting, It's a videoed meeting as well. And you will see, please go online and watch the Pope meeting Yayo Grassi and his mother and sister, yes, but also meeting and embracing, in fact, kissing on the cheek, his homosexual partner as well. American Catholics? What kind of message is this giving? Yeah, and the way I look at this is we need to know what the truth is, and then we need to pray. Uh, Because even a non-Catholic... I, I, I always say this, John Henry, they should not want the Catholic Church to fail, to fall apart, to crumble, to dissolve, to implode. Why? Because she's been holding the seed of truth for 2,000 years. I mean, the gift of life, uh, you know, sanctity of life in the womb, it's been protected by the Catholic Church for 2,000 years. We don't want bad things to happen to the church, but my God, we need to be able to clean house. So when we come back, I'd like to get your thoughts on, first I want to find out what was your whole conversion about, but then also what can laity do? What can we be doing? And even where, where, um, how can we collaborate with non-Catholics to advance the kingdom of Christ? 
So we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And make sure, by the way, you have the 24-hour-a-day app Talk Radio on your phone because we at America Out Loud have Talk Radio 24 hours a day. And, of course, my show is always on Monday through Friday, 1 to 2. All right, we'll be right back. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. As we celebrate our four-year anniversary, thank you for making it all possible. Well, should it news deliver truth and inspire us to reach higher? With blogs, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. So, John Henry, what can laity do? What can people do? And do you have any ideas on how Protestants and Catholics can advance the kingdom of Christ and even using, to whatever degree, LifeSite News? I know that was a lot of questions. That was very broad, but let's roll with it. (laughs) Very good. So, first of all, we all know that we can pray. Um, You know, we're told in the scriptures over and over again, ask and you shall receive, knock and you shall find. Um, And uh, it it will, and and, uh, the door will be open to you, seek and you shall find. And so, we can do that. We can do that with great fervor and with great hope, because we also know Jesus hears our prayers. Our the Father in heaven hears the prayers we make in the most holy name of Jesus. And this we we have in common. We have in common with all of our non-Catholic brothers and sisters this truth about prayer. Prayer in the most holy name of Jesus. Prayer by the infinite merits of most precious blood. All of that we have in common. And so we also have in common these great beliefs around life and family, the sanctity of human life, the sanctity of the family, the truth about Jesus' own teaching about the um, impossibility of divorce even. Uh, you know, God created the male and female. So the whole understanding of gender is, is there and it held in common. The whole understanding of marriage between one man and one woman, um, and it's for life is all in common. So we often find ourselves fighting uh, for life, for family, for God's truth together. And that's a great way. That's why, really, they say the pro-life movement is one of the greatest ecumenical movements on the planet. I agree. So there's a lot we can do together there. (laughs) Absolutely. But in in terms of orthodoxy, and that is keeping to the truths of Christ in the different denominations, It's also very important that evangelical Christians, Orthodox Christians, um, even even non-Christians, they want to hold the Church, the Catholic Church, to its truth, because that helps the whole wide world. Uh, And you were mentioning uh, in the beginning of the program about how the Vatican has been holding the line at the UN and other places on life and family issues, and that's absolutely true, beyond any shadow of a doubt. If that gives way, that's a very scary thing indeed. And here's the thing. It's funny because at LifeSite News, we've been doing LifeSite News now for 23 years. Really? And we've had a lot of connection with uh, evangelical uh, evangelicals and Baptists and all sorts of denominations 
inside the non-Christian, non-Christian, um, excuse me, non-Catholic Christian world, but also with some non-Christians at all, particularly Jews. There's a rabbi by the name of Yehuda Levin who we've often worked with, and he is very pro-life, very pro-family. He's got ten kids. He's always at the March for Life in the U.S. And one of the things that he stresses is the need to keep things right in the Vatican. He's gone over to the Vatican in the times of John Paul II and Benedict, but he is alarmed by what's going on right now, mm-hmm. because what's going on right now is a whole-scale seeming surrender of the truths that are common not only to all Christians, but are common to all Bible-believing people, so therefore Old Testament-believing people. And so this is such a revolution, and so non Christians even can get engaged in this fight by encouraging, praying for and encouraging and lobbying, if you will, the church to do the right thing. Because this is right by any standard of natural law or, or morality that, that's out there. So there's lots to do together. Absolutely. Now, I'd like to address this big push for, uh, and this should scare anybody, uh, and, and it should concern every single person, this big push for population control and what the Vatican under Pope Francis has, now maybe I'm wrong, maybe it started before that, but as far as my understanding, this didn't happen before, where they're bringing in um, these people, many of them aren't even Christians, and they, they're, but they're scientists and all this, and they're putting on the pitch that the world's population is too too many people. We need to reduce the population. All of this goes a hundred percent against the magisterium. How how is this happening, John Henry? Yes. So this is one of the most startling things. And again, I'd encourage listeners. Don't believe us. Please go to LifeSite News. Watch the videos themselves. It's so unbelievable that I know the things we're talking about are hard to imagine. They sound like it must be fake news. Go watch the videos. Trust me, we didn't take time to doctor videos to do this, but you'll be able to see it's so plain. So let me start with the example that Pope Francis himself gave. Speaking of responsible parenthood in 2015, Pope Francis cautioned Catholics against being like rabbits. In other words, don't breed like rabbits. He said, he spoke about a woman who he knew who had, was pregnant with her eighth child after having the first seven by C-section. And he said, he actually rebuked her. He said, um, but you don't want to leave seven orphans. That is to tempt God. It's an irresponsibility, he said. No, he said, trust God and God gives you uh, the methods to be responsible. Now, that's really weird because what methods is he talking about? Because all Catholics know that contraception is supposed to be off the table. But um, nonetheless, he said that. But if you actually listen to what's coming from the Vatican since Pope Francis's reign, you have this unbelievable stream of conferences held in the Vatican, headed up by um, Bishop Sanchez Sorondo, Marcello Sanchez Rondo, who basically is having all of the population control gurus of the world come in and speak at the Vatican about the need for population control. And I know that sounds crazy. 
Mm. Please go look it up, including Paul Ehrlich. So Paul Ehrlich was the father of the population control movement. He wrote the book, The Population Bomb, which, by the way, was uh, uh, shown to be false. A massive bet made where he lost because he said, you know, certain items will go um, skyrocketing in price and so on. They wouldn't. Uh, and, and others argued that they wouldn't based on his projections. And so he's been proven wrong. But nonetheless, he was speaking in the Vatican. And we actually interviewed him because he's so controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, we couldn't fathom that this was going to happen. So when it was announced, we went out to Paul Ehrlich and interviewed him and asked him what he thought about being invited to the Vatican of all places. And he told us he was really pleased with the direction that Pope Francis was taking the church. <laughs> but it's not only that's, Paul That's incredible. Ehrlich. Absolutely incredible. Uh, what, what He ought to be, what, 110 the, years the, old, this. Paul Ehrlich? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he's an older guy, but he's, you can watch him. You can watch his talk at the Vatican. Uh, we pull the videos from the Vatican's uh, feeds, you know, and then there's this unbelievable laundry list of population controllers who do that. John Bodgarts from the uh, pro-abortion population council, one of the biggest pushers of population control. Uh, the UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon was a huge population control advocate. Jeffrey Sachs, who everybody knows as a population control advocate. Uh, John Schellnuber, all sorts of people in there. But interestingly enough, the bishop himself, Marcello uh, Sanchez-Sorondo, reveals himself in one of the videos, one of the, the, the clips that we pulled from the Vatican itself, as a population controller himself, and he says basically that he tries to make it a teaching of the church that 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 we need to have population control by saying that no, no, responsible parent was in the catechism, and we need to give women education, and with education they will have one or two children, not seven. Oh my gosh, is he the same one who boasted about what was it, South Korea, uh, or Japan, dropping he, the number the of children? Who... Same. At that conference, yes, there was someone at his conference that boasted about the drop in the numbers of children at grade school uh, because it was just wonderful how the population was being uh, decreased. He, though, is the one who praised China for their population control methods, which, as we all know, are absolutely horrific. Well, and and actually, I I don't want to make the assumption here that everybody knows this. I mean, I have done shows on this before, but in China they are still having forced abortions. Uh, you know, the, the, I know they've increased the number. What is it, from one to two? But make no mistake, if it's a single right. woman, if she got pregnant outside of marriage, they're going to force that woman into an abortion. And uh, it, it's yeah. just a grave, it, it's a crime against humanity at such proportion. We can't even wrap our head around it. Um, so yeah. <laughs> let me see. There was some, oh oh so tell us a little bit more about Archbishop Vigano, and what should we know about him today? Okay, and I know he's still in hiding, or at least I'm making the assumption that man is still in hiding. Is that correct? Yes, he is. He is. Okay, so, and, and this is going to be news. I'm sorry. Let me just cut in here, John Henry. There are a lot of people yeah, out there who have no idea who Archbishop Vigano is. And why he had to go into hiding and what that has to do with, uh, what's his name, Archbishop McCarrick, Cardinal, Cardinal McCarrick out of Washington, D.C., the former Cardinal. So give us a quick rundown on who this man is, why he's in hiding, and how is, how is this whole connection with McCarrick at the, at the root 
of uh, of now that this man's in hiding. Very good. Well, Archbishop Vigano, we already mentioned in the program in the last segment, we were talking about Kim Davis. He was the nuncio to the United States, and he was a very holy guy. And what happened was when uh, Francis came in as Pope, he went to Rome, as they all do, to meet the Pope and and to talk to him about what's going on in the various countries. All the nuncios, that means the, the, the representative of the Pope in the various countries, do this. And so he was in to meet the Pope, and he informed the Pope of what was going on. And at that time, they already knew that McCarrick was a real problem, and he told the Pope this. He told the Pope, in fact, that McCarrick had been restricted by Pope uh, Benedict by Pope um, and and put under restriction in terms of travel restriction is sort of put out of the way. However, Pope Francis actually lifted that restriction such that McCarrick was back in action. And when this stuff started to come down about McCarrick and all the horrible things uh, of, of what was actually happening behind the scenes, Car, uh, Archbishop Vigano went public with his first testimony. Um, he made that testimony first with LifeSite News and another Italian website and also other, a few other websites um, or news portals, if you will. And very interestingly, what happened when he went public about this is he went into hiding. And that was for a very good reason because Archbishop Vigano what had been in the Vatican for a long time. He had already uh, pointed out irregularities with the Vatican Bank, which was scandalous even at, at that time, and was moved out of that position into the Nunciature of America. And then when he came out publicly in this regard, he went into hiding for, for concern over a number of things. Yes, there are physical concerns, but he's told me on many occasions that he's not scared, and I believe him totally. He's not scared for the loss of his life. He is, you know, concerned, however, without with losing his faculties, and in order to serve him his, uh, you know, uh, suspension of his uh, of his rights to say mass and so on, that would have to be done with an address. He has no fixed address right now, so no one can do that. So there's all sorts of handy reasons that way too. Mm -hmm. However, he has been a great soldier for the truth of the faith. He has called out Pope Francis to his face in a way very much like St. Paul did to St. Peter. You see, we have in the tradition of the church, right from the beginning of the church, the example of the need to correct our superiors, even the Holy Father himself. So that in the scriptures we read, where St. Peter was doing that funny thing where he didn't want to eat with the uncircumcised Gentiles because of, of fearing to, to offend the Jewish Catholics, St. Paul took him up to the face publicly to tell him that that was the wrong thing. And Peter accepted that in humility and accepted the reproof, which was good uh, for both Peter and obviously for the church, Mm -hmm. and reformed his ways and did the right thing. And so in that tradition is what Archbishop Vigano did what he did with regard to the first testimony he gave. Unfortunately, Pope Francis has never answered these that challenge or the other challenges that have come to him from cardinals who were always the same cardinals who were most concerned for the faith, the ones who John Paul II and Benedict relied on mostly, like... Cardinal Raymond Burke, like Cardinal Miller, like 
Cardinal Brandmüller, like Cardinal Zen, and all of these heroes of the faith under John Paul II and Benedict, who were the ones most defending the faith against you know, the world and the attacks of the world, most holding up John Paul II, most holding up Pope Benedict, the ones who are ready to die for them, have now become the very persona non grata kicked out of the curia uh, by Pope Francis. It's an unbelievable sea change, unbelievable reversal. Okay, John Henry, give me an estimate. You know, the average Catholic sitting in the pew, say on a Sunday, how many of them understand what you just went over? What percent would you guess? Uh, if it was 1%, I would be surprised. Oh, my gosh. And okay. so, mm-hmm. yeah, I would be surprised. The, the thing is, right now in the church, we are in such disarray. Most, look, all the stats will show you most people in the church, the majority, are practicing contraception. Right away, that puts us out of the state of grace. And without that, we how are we meant to think properly about any of these things? You know, who's still going to confession? Who still knows their faith? These are grave, grave things that we're dealing with just on the normal level, let alone having to deal with the corruption in the church. And so, yes, things are indeed very grave. Mm. All right. Well, let's see. We will be coming right back, and we're going to dig a little bit deeper into your story, your conversion, and why, and even why you started LifeSite News. Uh, But I will say, folks, anybody listening to the show today, if you're looking for pro-life news, like up-to-the-minute pro-life news, what's going on in this in the world of population control and all that, your source is LifeSite News. You you, want to definitely check it out. Make sure you join John Henry out in the Twitter world. We will be right back. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. All right, John Henry, I want to know about your conversion. Why? What you know? Because you were very, very anti-Catholic, and God bless you. You're not running from the Catholic Church as you expose all the attack that she's under, whether it be from Freemasonry or the communist Marxists or God knows what else the attack is. Those are at least the two areas that I'm familiar with. But uh, tell us about your conversion. How and why did it happen? Absolutely. Well, unlike most, I have a very great debt to the church. Um, I mean, everybody does, but I have a bigger one than most because I was raised by someone who I consider a saint. My dad was one of those daily mass, daily rosary kind of Catholics. Every conversation I remember, dad always tried to move it back to the faith. Um, He's amazing. 
And I rejected it nonetheless. When I was in my early teens, I left, uh, you know, it got into really pornography and then left sort of uh, thinking I had, I'd wanted nothing to do with it anymore. I had to actually, because I was still living at home, you know, go and, and, and bring my dad a bulletin from Sunday mass to, to quote unquote prove I was there and I would go and play pool with my friends. Um, and yet as I fell deeper and deeper and further and further away, um, my dad was still there telling me, you know, something's wrong with your life. Our Lord's trying to reach out to you. Um, and it was amazing because that took a lot of patience. I had a lot of incidences where uh, he had to confront all sorts of nonsense that, that uh, you know, happens in your life when you leave the faith and when you go it. But I had convinced myself that Christ didn't exist because I couldn't live with myself. You know, I, from a very early age, when I was a child, I was wearing a scapular. I threw it away. When I was 14, Dad gave me a book called True Devotion to Mary. Uh, I like looked at the first page, put it on my bedside table or, you know, the little bookshelf behind your bed. Uh, after a few days, I threw it away because I couldn't even stand it being there. No, you know, let and me as I got into with university, a question here. At what point were you watching pornography or looking at pornography? At what well, age? From, yeah, from, from age probably, I think we found it in the laneway at 12 years old. 12. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean... The downward spiral was quite something. Getting to university got me involved with all sorts of bad friendships into illegal things and into driving in a way that was very reckless and dangerous. And it was actually that which 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 got to me because, you know, uh, getting caught doing these bad things, living an immoral life, you, you get caught at numerous points. And getting caught thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to lose my freedom and my education and, and everything else is what really brought me to my knees. The good story in all of this, the good, um, the good end result is this. God is so, so, so generous. When you turn back to him, he does what it says in the story of the prodigal son. Instead of just, you know, Lord, please just treat me like one of your slaves because it's better here than in the pigsty that I'm living in. Mm -hmm. He goes and tells his servants, go get a ring for his finger and a robe to put on him. And he blesses you in amazing ways. I was the most undeserving person in the world. And he gave me a beautiful wife, eight beautiful children, and the ability to found an organization which has us now meeting all sorts of saints all over the planet, the most right. incredible, strong Catholics and Christians you'll ever see. I am totally undeserving of that. But it's because God the Father looks at us with such love and no matter how deep you are in sin, he looks at Christ, his son, who sacrificed himself for you. And with that love comes to you. So we've got it all. And that's why I'm so hopeful, even in the midst of I don't care what happens. God's in charge. The church is Christ's. And all we're called to do is the best we can with whatever lights we get from our Lord. And we just live every day, every moment for him. Because he loves us so much. That's the only response possible when you recognize, even a little bit, I don't say I recognize it a lot, but even a little bit, that great love that he has for us. Mm -hmm. What other response can we have? Right. And, I love it. Uh, and, and you've made me well up with tears because <laughs> I'm thinking of how many people might be listening right now who are as lost as you were, as you just so perfectly described. And that's one of the things I love about the Catholic Church is that we show Christ on that cross. 
and we, the church I attend, it's, it's a very lifelike example, you know, rendition of Jesus on that cross. And I, probably like you, I intentionally stare at it every Mass because I want to remember what He did for us, for my sins, for my sake, mm-hmm. for my salvation, as well as the whole world. Uh, so thank you for, for sharing that part of your testimony. But now, why did you start LifeSite News? And I, I had no idea it's been around, what did you say, 23 years? 23 years. 23, yeah. 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 So why did you start it? What was the impetus? So really funny story. I mean, I, I was uh, in a master's program. I was going to do a PhD in psychology. I had a very good uh, scholarship to get that underway. And uh, at this point, I had just gotten married um, and somehow didn't feel called to continue with my PhD um, and um, was working volunteer, actually, at a, at a school where I was uh, teaching uh, and, and the faith, mostly. Um, and funny enough, I had was in a, in a, in a church on a weekday, um, and there was this young lady in my aisle who was wearing a head covering. And uh, she told, after Mass, the priest sort of introduced us and then excused himself. And, you know, it was kind of awkward. So I said, hello. And she said, we shouldn't talk here. We're in front of the Blessed Sacrament. So I said, oh, okay. And uh, she left. And I turned around to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament and said, oh, she's one of yours, eh? And so (laughs) walked outside. And there she was on the steps of the church waiting for me. And uh, she said to me, do you have a job? And I said, uh, no, and I thought that was kind of a strange question, but I was indeed praying for what our Lord wanted me to do and looking for work. And so she said, good, um, I have a job for you. The pro-life newspaper of Canada needs people to sell the paper. So I was actually very pleased because um, I, I felt in my heart that this was a direction from the Lord. I had no training whatsoever in terms of selling newspapers or, or anything like that. But nonetheless, I was enthused that this is what I was supposed to do because it seemed to me like a divine revelation. My wife, on the other hand, uh, her line went something like, um, <laughs> you mean to tell me you did seven years post-secondary and gave up your PhD scholarship so you could become a paper boy. But <laughs> nonetheless, I was unturned and um, went to Toronto at the time to uh, which was at that time three and a half hours from where we lived um, and had an interview and met the head of the pro-life movement there called Campaign Life Coalition, met the head of it. And uh, he was very gruff and very, uh, um, uh, he was very strange with me. In fact, he threw my resume on the table and said, what the H is this? Mm-hmm. And uh, I tried explaining to him. And he was totally intransigent. It was going to be a very rough meeting indeed. And um, he thought I was a spy for Planned Parenthood. Um, my resume did not at all fit with what I was applying for. And so he totally distrusted me until I said, guess what? You know my dad. My dad is Henry Weston. I'm John Henry Weston. Yes, he's a white guy with blue eyes, but that's because I'm a mix. My dad is Dutch German and my mom is from India. And therefore, that's me. And yes, I'm his son. <laughs> and that's when he changed. So um, out of the mediation of my dad, uh, he changed. And, and basically, Jim Hughes uh, said he needed me to do research. I could not sell the paper for them, which was good. I had no idea how to do that anyway. And research was what I was doing for already years in both my undergrad and graduate program. And so that research turned into daily reports, daily news reports. 
And this is prior to LifeSite, so it's still 2005. And um, those daily reports kept going and kept going. And then in 1997, they decided to build a website. And the website was uh, organized by Steve Jelsevac. And someone at the office said, why don't you put John Henry's news thing on the website? And so that's, that's actually how LifeSite was born, uh, wow. as a project of Camping Life Coalition in Canada in 1997. Okay. And from there, I mean, they... It was Campaign Life that actually supported us for the first decade, and then we became too large for them and, and went out on our own. But we still have very close close relationships with Campaign Life, but also with most of the pro-life groups around the world with whom we work and, and take their information and make it known and so on and so forth. Right. So that's really the story of LifeSite. It's a very, uh, very strange beginnings, and from tiny, tiny, tiny beginnings to last year having had 102 million page views. Well, um, I was just going to ask you, 102 of, million page views since 1997? Yeah. That's fantastic. No, no. That oh. was last year only. Oh. That was only <laughs> 2019. Oh, my gosh. So, okay. yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, 102 million. No, it's, it's grown wow. to be something. That is fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're, you're yeah, and clearly it's grown you're doing. to, to, to be. Oh, go ahead, John Henry. Go ahead. I'll cut that out. Sorry. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, yeah, it also grew from, a, you know, a little thing which two guys were just doing every day to now we have 35 full-time employees. And I shouldn't really say employees. They're actually soldiers in this mission. It's amazing what they do. Um, you know, we're all out there to promote life and family, faith and freedom, to really strive to give the message of the truth of Christ's teaching on life and on family, which is going to help people in every which way. Um, and we know that, and we do that at, you know, a, sometimes a lot of cost to ourselves, but we, we do that for the love of Christ and for his truth, which has saved us. So yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great thing for us to do. Well, you know, I, I travel the country, and one of the seminars we give is pills and potions, where we're teaching the condensed 100-year history of how um, America embraced Malthusian philosophy, you know, population control. Mm. How did America actually embrace Margaret Sanger's worldview of population control, eugenics, and sexual promiscuity? Most people, as you well know, have no clue. They don't even know what America looked like before Margaret Sanger began to uh, institutionalize yeah. her worldview. So what we do at Jose Initiative is teach this hundred-year legacy in, in just a very condensed way. And then, and the, you know, the other dollops on top of that is then, you know, Dr. Bernard Nathanson and and these other factors. So um, yeah. I mean, most Americans have no clue that for four hundred years, Catholics and non Catholic Christians were lock, stock, and barrel against contraception. I mean, that went on, you know it, John Eyre, 400 Absolutely. years until Margaret Sanger and the eugenists, you know, began to, you know, spread their worldview. Then they got it funded, and then they got it institutionalized. So, okay, so I'm going to pivot here a little bit. You know, we didn't really get into Freemasonry and Marxism and, and these kinds of things. But what do you... You know, just taking this back to America. I mean, you're a Canadian, right? You're in Canada still. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. But in America, right, yes. what do you view 
the the biggest attack is in your opinion what what attack do you think the united states is under um if you could alert every american and say wake up would you you need to know blank what would you be saying well first and foremost it's always going to be a question about god because right now the godless culture is massive and you've had a return to some of that from the most unlikely source uh, uh, President Trump, God bless him, but has done more to promote God and belief in God than most people would ever give him credit for. Because while he might have been had a past, <laughs> probably very much like mine, but he actually has turned to God in a public way. We, we don't know his heart, obviously, but what he says, if you listen to him, um, has been incredible sometimes. His speech in Poland was just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And he speaks with real conviction. I mean, people might choose not to believe him, whatever, but you know what? When the king speaks or when a political leader of a country speaks, people listen to that. And so there is a turning toward God. But that's always first and foremost, because that's why at LifeSite, you'll notice we're covering this uh, revolution in the church more than anything else, because it's actually the most important thing going on even beyond the coronavirus. And that might sound weird to say, but when you realize that all grace and truth come through Jesus Christ and Jesus founded his church and the truths that he wanted to convey to the world were to be given by his own successors of his apostles, and then that starts to be tampered with and distortion starts to come from them, that is the most severe thing. That's why when our Lord said to the apostles, to the, the disciples that were teaching the faith, he warned them. He warned them that all sorts of things would happen. But when he warned them about they themselves betraying, he said, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied about your neck and be thrown into the sea than you confuse one of the little ones. Right. And right. that is actually the most severe thing going on. With regard to other concerns beyond that, you can you can look easily at the United States and say that the crush of the LGBT push, which includes transgender, is really crushing faith, first of all, and freedom, and even an elemental sense of right and wrong. If you're made to say what you know is not real, everybody knows that this man who's pretending to be a woman is not a woman. Everybody knows that. They're genes. You can tell by the chromosomes. Like, come on, let's get real. But you're being forced to say that under pain of losing your job and social ostracization. And so people are giving in to this. You are fundamentally changing people in their psychology by forcing them to say falsehoods, which they know are false. Right. And so those are, if, if you look into it, those are communist tactics for mind control that's that's what they use that's the same thing that they use right. and so we're doing this to ourselves because of these ideologies and so this is a grave danger my radar began going off on the the local priest not where i live now but we were living in a different diocese and it was a little quaint country church and i thought something's not adding up and on a monday morning i went to him because uh, I knew I needed to have my marriage validated because I had been I had been baptized Catholic as an infant. 
and married a Methodist man. So anyway, and the priest said, no, 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 you don't need to get your marriage validated. And then I thought, well, let me go ahead and ask him the question I've been wanting to ask him. I said, Father, where is the Catholic Church now on the issue of homosexuality? I wanted to see how he would respond. And of course, he thought I was just Mm -hmm. wet clay in his hands. And um, one question led to another, and then he's given me that line, well, you know, Terry, it's about love. And he said, you know, the Catholic Church is really coming oh. along. You know, for centuries, we, we used to be in the dark ages about human sexuality. And I said, well, what do you mean? And, and he said, well, you know, Terry, when I came here seven years ago, there used to be a homosexual couple, you know, two men. And he said, Terry, it's all about love. And I said, well, I said, well, Father, because I wanted to see how he'd answer this. So I, I walked, I walked you know, the old proverbial saying, walk the dog right off the pier. And I said, um, well, Father, if it's just about love, then if my husband, hypothetically, wanted to show love to our two girls in a sexual way, would that be okay? And I paused, <laughs> and I waited for that man to answer my question, because it's worthy of an answer, is it not? Because if he's telling me this is about yeah. love, well, then, hey. So he got all befuddled, dropped his keys on the floor, and when he came back up, this is what this man said. He, and keep in mind, he was 70-some years old. He's from Chicago, the hotbed of communism. Hmm. And, uh, and he said, wow. well, uh, he said, as long as it's two consenting adults, that is what wow. the priest said to me. And I thought, God, you are allowing me to see how messed up things are. But I said, I'm not going to run. I said, I will fight this. I will expose this, but I will not run. And I haven't. And, um, you know, I hummed and hawed Hmm. over the years. Do I make that kind of story public? But I will make it public because it's what happened to me. And any priest who has the audacity to tell me this is just about love, I can look him right in the eyes and say, oh, no, it's not. (laughs) Uh, So so we have our work cut out. And that's the thing that, Mm -hmm. yeah, and I think that's the thing that parents know. See, when you're a parent, if you truly love your child, you discipline your child. And you know that, as the scripture says, if you don't, you hate your child. And it's it's always clear to parents because we're the ones who see what happens when we don't. Because it's easier not to discipline. That's why Christ, a lot of people say, oh, Christ went to talk to the sinners and Pope Francis is just going to talk to the sinners. And, you know, my response is always the same. I would cry tears of joy if the Pope were going to all the sinners in the world and saying, you know, go and sin no more. Right. Yes, I forgive you and go and sin no more. But it's that part that go and sin no more that we not only never see, we get professed by all of his quote unquote friends in the homosexual community who say he's never told them that. And so it is It is very sad indeed. And we know, as, as parents know, you always want to correct your kids. You don't let them right. walk out into traffic because right. they're going to kill themselves. You discipline them, That you take them back from that, you stop them. From, they might not like it. But, you know, your two-year-old playing on the side of a cliff, oh, that's great fun. It's so much fun. But you're going to take him away, not because you hate him. And even if he goes kicking and screaming, oh, you hate me, you hate me, which they sometimes do. But you're doing it out of love, and you keep doing it because you love them. And if you didn't love them, you would say, oh, that's too much hassle. Let them kill themselves. (laughs) That's right. And that's where we're at in the church. Yep. That's where the this this priest of yours who said that uh, the most horrific thing it's all about love let them do whatever that shows more about the priest himself 
than anything to do with what the church teaches and anything to do with real love. And that is why I will not run. And that is why I want to expose with love, just like you're doing. And uh, because Mother Church needs to be restored and purged, you know, purged of the filth, purged of the sin. And because there's so many people who need to hear the truth. So with all that being said, I so appreciate you being on What If We've Been Wrong on America Out Loud. John Henry, there's probably so much more we could talk about, uh, but I thank you, and I'm going to have you back if you're willing to come back at some point in the future. All right, give us one last positive word. What would you like America to know? Well, this is an easy one for me. And all to all of your listeners, look, the church, yes, it's controversial, but the one thing that as Catholics, we really want all of our brothers and sisters who are not Catholics. Why is there this urge, this want, this desire to have everybody united? Because Christ said, Father, let them be one, even as you and I are one. And when he said that, he gives himself completely. And that's the very thing that Catholics have that no one else has. Jesus truly present in the Eucharist. Read the end of John 6. You know, Jesus says, I will give my flesh to eat. And the disciples walked away, a lot of them, disciples who had been with him for so long, walked away because they say, in the scriptures you read it, this is very hard, how can someone believe that he's going to give us a flesh to eat? And he says, if you think that's bad, what are you going to do when you see the Son of Man returning in the clouds? And then he keeps going. And when they walk away, he doesn't call them back and say, whoa, whoa, guys, that was a symbol. It was just a, like, a, you know, I'm a door kind of a symbol. No, he lets them walk away. In fact, what does he do next? He turns to the apostles and says, are you going to leave too? Because this truth about the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist is so important, so essential. And that's why we call out of love for our brothers and sisters to join us in the Catholic faith, because it's the true faith, because it's Christ's abiding presence with us in the Eucharist. He wants to come to you physically like he did with his apostles. It wasn't only for them. It's for all of us. Read the scriptures. There we go. Perfectly said. Thank you, John Henry. And uh, thanks for listening to What If We've Been Wrong? Shining Light in Dark Places. 